Um, right, let's pray for Alistair because he has lots and lots he wants to share he with you and it's going to be really, really good. So I'm going to pray really quickly. Jesus, we thank you for Alistair. Thank you for everything that you've put in his heart to share with us today. We pray that we would receive it and that we would grow. And we pray for him, for his family, for his church, that you would bless them and that everybody would know how much you love them just from seeing the blessing on their lives. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be here. Nice to see you uh, again. Um, I've got till 12, is that right? And it's 20 past 10, is that we? <laughs> so it is about the time that if people forgot that the clocks went forward, they'll be sneaking in at the back. So I will point them out, and if we can give them a round of applause, that would be, uh, be good to welcome people into the family this morning, won't it? Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Is my microphone on? Yeah, want to turn me up a little bit? <laughs> I've, I have been talking quite a lot over the weekend, so um, I was um, I was thinking about what was my first memory of of City Church, and I think it was before we joined, we went on a family camp um, at Spitton Farm. Yeah, I know it was fantastic, and um, uh, I remember. Uh, we, we didn't know many people, and I remember on the Saturday morning being woken up very early by two very small voices. We had been pitched between the Whartons and the Jelfs, and Nathaniel and Tom, good to embarrass um, one of the youth in the morning, isn't it? And Tom decided when the lights started that that was the time for them to start talking through our tent. <laughs> So, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, we've been part of this family, and I think, I think we still feel part of this family. We're just part of this family living up in Manchester at the moment. So I've been here this weekend. We've been looking at uh, the big story of the Bible. We've been looking about uh, trying to get a, a grasp on that and then think about what that story means for us today. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of that for those... Oh, my goodness, John and Barbara are here. Morning. How nice to see you. you don't, you're not here anymore, are you? Oh, you are. I thought you'd moved. <laughs> oh, well, nice, nice to see you. Sorry, that just completely disorientated me. It was like, oh, I'm back in time. It's, um, where was I? We got a slide. <laughs> um, so... Spurgeon said this, great preacher Spurgeon said, Since the Bible is a mosaic of priceless gems, you will be enriched even if you extract a jewel here and there. But to behold its divine beauty, you must contemplate the mosaic as a whole. And that's what we've been trying to do a little bit this weekend, looking at the, the big picture of the Bible as the revealed word of God, the means by which he shows himself in greater measure than in any other way. There's so much in the Bible for all of us, and it's important that we read it. It helps us, as Paul said in his letter to Timothy, it teaches us, corrects us, trains us, so we, so we can be equipped, ready to live and to serve in the world. We want the Bible to inform us and teach us about a number of things. We want to know what we know and think about God, who he is and what he has done and what he continues to do in the world. The Bible is the story about God, not the story about man. And it's important that we start with the Bible 
being able to inform us about who he is. But it's also important that through the Bible and through the story of the Bible, we learn how to live as God's people, what we are called to be like as individuals and together, living out of the identity that we find in relationship with God. And then how we engage with the world around us and seek to impact it. We'll all see that there continues to be a calling on God's people, not to be a blessing just to ourselves, but to those beyond ourselves, to the other people. So, what is the Bible? Well, firstly, it's not just a rule book with a lot of instructions in it. It does contain instructions for living and living well, both broad principles and specific instructions. But some of those instructions are written for a specific time to a specific people. The Bible was written over hundreds, thousands of years. And some parts were written to a, a group of Israelites wandering in a desert for 40 years. Uh, some were written to that same people hundreds of years later in exile in Babylon. Some were written to the early church as they began to spread out from Jerusalem after the good news of Jesus' resurrection had been made known. And so in reading them, we can't just go, ah, the Bible says this phrase, I must apply it. We need to read them in the context of the big story. And there aren't instructions for all the challenges that we face in 21st century Britain with our Western individualistic culture. It doesn't tell us what to do with the challenge of transgenderism. There's just not a Bible where you can turn to it and it goes, this is what it says. We have to read the big story. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand how God interacts with people to wrestle with those challenges. So it's not just a rule book, if you like. It's a library. It's a library of 66 books written over many centuries by probably up to about 40 different authors. And there's lots of different types of books in that Bible. There's history, the stories of things that happened. Lots of the Old Testament is stories of things that happened to God's people. There's poetry and songs. The Psalms were Israel's songbook, the way that they uh, spoke out, sang out their praises to God. There's prophecy, specific messages from God through anointed people speaking his word into very specific situations. There's what's called wisdom literature, proverbs, for example, wise thoughts and sayings about how to live well in the culture that they were in. There's the gospels, the four stories of Jesus' life, have his teaching, have his miracles, and of course his death and resurrection. Letters written to be a guide to the early church. When you read a letter, you're reading half of a conversation. And we, when we're reading that, we have to go, okay, can we understand something of what was going on in that church at that time? Why did Paul talk to the Corinthians about these things? Well, probably because they sent him a letter saying, help, we don't know what we're doing. Give us some guidance here. And what we're seeing is the other half of that conversation. And then there's apocalyptic literature. That's the really weird stuff. That's Revelation and the second half of Daniel, giving a glimpse into eternity, an unveiling of things that are to come or things that are happening in the heavenly places. So it's a library of all these different books, but it's a library with an amazing, coherent whole. It's a library of God's big story. 
It's a library of books that is tied together, keeps us captivated as we read it. This is a quote. Are we on the next one, please? Uh, from a book called Drama of Scripture, uh, which, uh, which I've used quite a lot in preparing for this weekend. It says this, The Bible is not mere, a mere jumble of history, poetry, lessons in morality and theology, comforting promises, guiding principles and commands. <clears throat> it is a fundamentally coherent whole. Every part of the Bible, each event, book, character, command, prophecy and poem, can only be and must be understood in the context of the one storyline. So yeah, it's a library, there's lots of variety in it, but it's a coherent whole. And what's that storyline? Well, this is an attempt to put it in one sentence. The story of a perfect world gone wrong, and a God who never gives up on it, or on the people he created and who will one day restore what he has created to perfection. Okay, it's one sentence, but it's quite a long sentence. But, um, you know, and, you know, it might be good as you, as you go home and reflect, those of you that were around over the weekend, to think, okay, if I was going to write a sentence, what sentence would I write to capture God's big story? What is it about God's big story that really... Uh, stands out to me. So we've been thinking about the Bible like a play, like a Shakespeare play, if you like, and uh, we've, we've sort of broken it down into being a play of six acts. And actually this play is still ongoing because God's big story is still ongoing and we'll see that actually we're still in act five of this six-act play. But what we need to do to be actors in that play, and by actors I don't mean we're pretending to be something that we're not, but if we're living in a drama, to be an actor in Act 5 where the, it isn't all written down exactly what we should do. To be able to act properly, we need to understand what's gone before in Acts 1-4 to four, and we need to understand something of Act 6 that is to come. And that's why it's important for us to study the whole story. So just briefly, I'll explain what those acts are and then just think a little bit about, okay, so what about us living in Act 5 today? So Act 1, it begins with creation. In the beginning, God are the first four words in our Bible. I'm not sure what they are in Hebrew, but they probably say the same thing. In the beginning, God. The story begins with God. The story begins with his act of creation. We are not here because of a cosmic accident. We are here because God spoke. God's spirit was hovering over the waters. And he made something. And he made something that was good. And we... Human beings are the pinnacle of that creation. We are made in his image, it says. We're not just like any other animal. There's something different about us. And there's two things that particularly stand out in that. Firstly, we are made to be in relationship. We are not made to be independent. We are made to be interdependent. We are made primarily to have relationship with God but we are also made to have relationship with one another. And that's, that's really important. 
Because when relationships aren't working out, then we're not living in the image that God has made us. So we're made for relationship. We're also made with responsibility. We're made with responsibility to steward, to look after the rest of God's good creation. But quickly, we move into Act 2, Crisis. The rebellion of the first humans. The story of Adam and Eve, a serpent and an apple in the Garden of Eden. Where they chose to disobey the instructions that God had given them with disastrous consequences. And in that story we we, we see something of what's wrong with the world today. We see human beings wanting to rule, to make their own choices. To choose to trust themselves rather than trusting God. And at that point, they're coming out of this relationship with God. They're choosing to be independent from God, not interdependent, not in relationship with God. And the result of that is relationships with each other and also relationships with the world are damaged by the choices that are made. And we can't put that right. Our relationship with God is fractured and damaged. And obviously in the picture of the uh, story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden. They're sent out of that place where they had relationship with God. But God doesn't give up on his creation. And Act 3, which is calling the calling of Abraham, the calling of Israel, um, God could have chosen to destroy everything because it had been ruined. But He doesn't. And he picks out a man, a man called Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. He makes a solemn agreement with Abraham. And Abraham is promised that through him his descendants will be numerous. You remember God says to Abraham, look at the sky. Can you count the stars? Your descendants will be as numerous as that. He's promised that his descendants will be a great people. He promises that he will be their God. And he will live with them, that his presence will go with those people. And he also promises that they will have a land to live in. But with these promises come a great responsibility. This people, who will become known as the Israelites, are to be a blessing to all the nations around them. They're not being blessed by God just for themselves, just to sit and have a holy huddle amongst themselves. They're made to be a blessing to the nations around them. And in Genesis 12, as part of the promises that God makes, he says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the rest of the Old Testament is is those promises being worked out. But unfortunately, the Israelites are not consistently faithful to what God has called them to be. Obedience does not come easily to them. We see the story worked out as they uh, go into Egypt. They come back out of Egypt. They wander in the desert. They enter the promised land. They have a time uh, when uh, the judges are in control. Then they have kings. The kingdom splits in two. Some of them are... the, The northern kingdom is overrun. The southern kingdom is taken into exile. Constantly in that time, the prophets are coming, reminding them that God has called them to be this special people. But eventually they end up in exile. Not a time of punishment, but a time of refining 
and helping them to reminding them about what they were called to be. But those prophets who were calling them back to God also are beginning to give a hint of something else, someone else who is going to come. Someone who is going to come as a descendant of King David. Someone who is going to come. There will be a Messiah. And the Messiah is going to come and bring about all that God wants to do with his world. And the Messiah does come. We know the Messiah is Jesus This promised Messiah comes in Act 4. He is a man, but also he is God. God himself breaks in to our rebellious world. And through his life and teaching and his death and resurrection, Jesus announces and inaugurates what's called the kingdom of God, the time when God reigns again on the earth and we live under his authority the way that it should have been. From the start. So when Jesus is performing a miracle, he's showing the power of God's kingdom breaking through into this world. His teaching shows the hallmarks of what this kingdom should be like. His death, he didn't just come to teach and to do miracles though, his death deals with that rebellion that first started off in the Garden of Eden and the sin that had ruined our relationship with God. And it wins the victory of the new kingdom. But Jesus didn't just die, he came back to life. And his resurrection confirms the arrival of the new kingdom, the inauguration of the new kingdom, if you like. God has broken through into his world. And that calling in Act 3, that calling of Israel, is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus And he calls us to enlist in the great project of seeing his kingdom extended and advanced in the world today. So Act 5 is the church. After his resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven not to leave us on our own, but so he can be everywhere present with his people as he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. And so as the church, we are the new people of God, the new Israel, if you like. And the call on us as the church is the same call as there was on the people of Israel to be a blessing to all nations by taking the good news about Jesus into all the earth. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this as he's just about to ascend into heaven. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's where we still are. We're still in Act 5 of this story. We're living in the church, and as I said, I'll come back to that in a minute about what does that mean for us today, but there is an Act 6. There is something to come, the consummation, the point at which this age comes to an end. And without it, the story would be incomplete. The drama would just peter out to an unsatisfactory conclusion. We know that we live in a time of sickness and sin, of evil and injustice, pain and hurt remain in the world, but it will not be like that forever. Jesus will return to the earth 
not this time in secret as a baby born in a, in a shed in a town outside Jerusalem, but visibly and in all glory. Satan will finally be defeated. There will be a judgment and those who follow Jesus will be raised and will live with God in the new or recreation of this world. In Revelation 21, we read this. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So the time to come is glorious and wonderful. So we live in Act 5. We can look back and see how God has revealed himself over history And we can look forward to what he will do. But we are living as the new people of God. A people who bear the image of God. And are being transformed by the Holy Spirit living inside us. That's us as church, as his people. And the Bible paints a number of pictures about what it means to be the people of God. Becky's already talked really well this morning about we are God's family with God as our Father. And we are brothers and sisters, mums and dads, aunties and uncles, all those expressions that we use for our natural family. All those relationships play out in us as God's family. But we're also the new Israel, the ones chosen by God to be a blessing to all people. And that new Israel is made up not just of a single ethnic group, but people from every nation and ethnic group across the world. There's a picture also of us as a body. A body speaks of diversity, of very different things. Your toenail is not at all similar to your liver. They are radically different. And each of us has a part to play. Your body doesn't function very well if you take any part away from it. But a body is also fundamentally connected. You don't have your kidneys floating away from you and you just put them in when they need it. The body is a coherent whole. There's also a picture of us as a temple. A temple is a place where a God was seen to dwell. And we are now God's temple. We are where God dwells by his spirit on the earth. That's an awesome responsibility, that we are the place that God dwells. The holy God of all creation now dwells in us. We should be a community who worships God in every sphere of our life. So living in the identity as being God's new people, but living in this time that we sometimes describe as the now and the not yet. So we're living between the time that Christ died and came back to life, ascended into heaven, and is ruling as the king, but between then and the time that he will come again. And we know that we know that our sin has been dealt with on the cross and has been defeated, but we know 
we're still struggling with that in our lives. We see it in ourselves if we reflect honestly about how we live. We see it in others and we see it in the world that we're living in. We're still living in a world that is broken and fallen. It's a bit like World War II, for those of you that know your history, having had five kids, and I think they've all studied the Second World War. You pick up things, because I didn't live during World War II, just in case any of you were thinking that. But in World War II, when they, the historians say that when D-Day happened, when the uh, Allied forces actually got a foothold back in France in 1944, it was inevitable what the result of the war was going to be. The Allies were going to win. They had the strength to win. But it still took them over 12 months for that victory to come. And if you like, you know, that time was a now and not yet for the people of Europe, for the people of the world. And we're living in a similar time. Victory is assured by what Jesus has done in his In his death and resurrection and ascension, victory is assured. But it won't be completed, if you like, until he returns. And the whole of creation will be renewed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's equally reflected in ourselves. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we read this. Therefore, is anyone is in Christ, we are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's true for us. We are a new creation, but we know it's not yet complete. John, in his first letter, says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. There's something that is to come. When Christ appears, we shall be fully like him. There's something that is yet to come in us, the now and the not yet. So we're living in this age where there's a clash between we're a new creation, but we're struggling with sin in our life. And how do we work that out? Well, God's not left us powerless to do that. He sent his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as the power for our living, for the power of our struggling, for the power of our fighting against those things in our life that God wants to see put together. The Holy Spirit is given to us, if you like, as a deposit of the new age to come, the first fruits of what is going to happen to us and is going to happen to the whole of creation, guaranteeing that God's future is coming into the presence. And if you like, because of his presence in our life, it's like a divine infection has set in. An infection we generally think as being a bad thing, but this is a good thing. This is an infection of God. Gradually, bit by bit, it should be taking over our lives, working in us as we're transformed into that likeness of God. And as he does that, the work of Christ should be being applied in terms of thinking of us as being adopted children into his family, thinking about the renewal and sanctification and going on. And what he's actually doing is he's restoring God's image in us, the image that came into us when we were created. We were made in God's image and God breathed life into the dust. The same word for breath that is used in that creation story in Genesis is the same word that is used for spirit. So at Pentecost, when the spirit comes on 
the the apostles as they were gathered in the upper room. It's like, a, again, it's like a recreation. It's like I'm making you in my image again. I'm making you into the people that I wanted to be. He's, God's in the job of restoring his image in us. So in Galatians, Paul says this, Here I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Living by the Spirit is living in everything that Christ has called us to be. So we need to live in the Spirit of the Holy live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to do that together. We are the people of God. We need to live this out in the community of the church. In the New Testament letters, I think there are 59. Uh, different exhortations uh, that are known as the one another's, you know, to love one another, to serve one another. 59 times. Our lives have to be lived in community, not alone. As I said right at the start, we were created for relationship. That's part of being what being made in the image of God is. And relationship is important. God is after not individuals who reflect him, but a people who reflect him. And as a community, that's where we live and grow. It's not easy. You can't grow in the fruit of the Spirit if you just live on your own. You don't need patience if you're just living on your own. You need patience if you live with other people. I know Mel needs patience to live with me. You know, and I know that I'm doing her good by growing patience in her by being so miserable sometimes. And possibly that works the other way around just occasionally as well. But those things don't grow in isolation. They can only grow when we're in community with one another. So we need community to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And the church needs to be a forgiven and forgiving community. We need to be expressing grace and forgiveness to one another. The strong need to be accepting the weak. The church should be made up of all people, old, young, male, female, rich, poor, all ethnic groups should be reflected in the community of God's people. We've been brought together by Christ in a way that nothing else should do for us. There should be no divisions for us. Um, up in Manchester, where I work, our youth pastor is, um, is called Haley, and uh, she's great, but she's really on my case because she's come across some research that says for young people um, who, who go through life in, in churches through youth groups, um, there's a significant correlation between those who stick in church life after they've ended their time in youth uh, between how well they were integrated into the life of the church. So if a church has a great youth organization, but it's a youth ghetto, and they, they don't have any connections in, and they don't know anyone else, they don't have any uncles and aunties, or mums and dads spiritually, then they get to the end of youth, and they just don't, they've got nowhere to go. Actually, we need to be a church where all ages connect in with one another. And I know that's been true for my kids. I know for Dave, for example, when he started picking up a guitar and was making quite horrible noises, but he was encouraged to get involved with the band here. And, you know, he'd play here on a Sunday morning, and I'm sure for quite a few weeks they just never turned him up at all. But it was part of him making relationships with people, particularly with Tim, 
Tim? No. Dobson. Tim Dobson was really good with him, and he'd have him round. And, you know, he was a father to Dave, and not just musically, but it helped him connect in to the life of the church. We need to be actively strengthening those relationships. I know that's something that you do well because we've experienced that. But I'd encourage you, don't forget to do that. Don't let your youth live in a ghetto. Don't let your 18 to 30s live in a ghetto. Think about how those relationships relate across the whole family. And it's a community that builds up one another. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about that. You can look that up after I've finished. So we're living as people in this story, in this big story of God's creation, of crisis, of calling Christ, church where we are now with a consummation to come. And as characters in the story, we need to learn to live as his people in full view of the world. We need to learn a kingdom way of living And thus being an agent of the kingdom wherever we're going. And our lives will not just bear witness to Jesus. But as we go into the world we are claiming his broken creation for the king. And all the time we're awaiting his coming. We're awaiting the time when he will make all things new. And as the church together we should be embodying love, hope, truth, grace. And be the presence of God in the, and, and in the whole of our lives to, in a decaying world. Have we got time to finish with a song, Tom? Yeah. Do you want to come up just while, I, uh, just while I think about, just get us to think about, so what? So what do I want you to think about and take away today? Well, I've got three things. Firstly, we have to remember we, we have the Holy Spirit to help us live in Act 5 of this drama. Jesus knew that we wouldn't be able to live as God's people in our own strength. So he ascended into heaven so that the promised Spirit could be sent from the Father. We need him daily. We need to ask for his help in all things. You need to believe that he is living in you. And at work in you, even when you can't see it, you need to embrace that divine infection and let it infect every area of your life. Don't resist what the Spirit is trying to do in you. Secondly, don't give up meeting together. You can't be part of the church sitting at home watching the God Channel. You need one another. You need... Have a look around at these beautiful group of people. Go on, have a look at them. Have a look at them. You need them. Nathan, have a look. Not just at me. Go on, have a look at the rest of them. I know you can't take your eyes off me, Nathan, but you're going to have to. You need the rest of them. We all need one another. There's that picture, isn't there, of a piece of coal burning brightly. You take the piece of coal off. What does it become? It becomes cold and it becomes hard. We need one another. But that's not always easy. So choose and stick to whatever church you're going at. Don't be a church hopper. Decide where God's called you and stay until he clearly calls you to go somewhere else. 
Don't just walk away because, oh, I didn't like the sermon this week, and I apologize, I'm not here every week, so that's not, you don't need to worry about that. You know, it's, it sometimes isn't easy. You know, and if you don't like something that go, that's going on in here, well done, because you've been listening, because not, well, <laughs> I thought Christ was coming back, I thought well, Act 6 was starting, that was amazing. Um, you know, you will be offended by what goes on here, but that just means you're part of us. And, you know, stay and become part of the solution. Offer to help, offer to get involved. Don't sit and grumble. Come and be part of the people of God. That's hard, I know, but that's about learning to grow in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And if you've been hurt by somebody here, well, that just means you're part of, part of this place. I'm sure everybody at some time has been hurt by something that somebody said or somebody's done. Yeah, that's what being in the people of God is going to be like. Because the people of God isn't a family of perfect people. It's a family of sinners gradually being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But in that process, we all get stuff wrong. We've all messed up. We've all hurt one another. And we've just got to push in and do that. Demonstrate the grace that God extended to you to other people when they hurt you. Let God grow his fruit in you as we rub up against each other. Do you want to just stand and I'm going to pray and then we're going to finish with a song. Lord, I thank you for City Church. Lord, I thank you for all the things that I learned from this amazing group of people here. Lord, I want to pray for your Holy Spirit in each of these lives. Lord, we prayed and sung as we started this morning for the Holy Spirit to come and fall on us. And Lord, that wasn't just for our gathering. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit in every moment of our lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be working in the lives of these people. You would be working in them, living in them as they go to their homes, as they go to their workplaces, as they go to their schools, as they go in their neighborhoods. Lord, and would your Holy Spirit be transforming them and be transforming your good creation as your people live it out. Lord, bless this community, I pray. May they grow in grace and love for one another, but most of all in grace and love for you. Amen.